because I don't know if they have a person in their life, I don't know, that loves them no matter what. So I want to make sure that when they come to school, they have at least one. Hi, I'm Toby. Hi, I'm Kaylee. Hi, I'm Anaya. And welcome to The The Other Other Side. Side. Today, we're sitting down with Jen Smith. Jen, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Jen Smith. I'm the Restorative Practices Coordinator for Binghamton High School. Um, I've been teaching. I've been in the teaching world for about 20 years, my 21st year this year. Um, I've been at Binghamton for going on nine years now. I've worked in almost every building in the district, so elementary, middle school, and high school. Well, it's very nice to meet you, and we're very excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about sort of the experiences you've had with other students? Okay, so um, my job is really focused on behavior. Um, So if, and classroom behavior especially, um, if a student has an issue with a teacher, maybe another student, um, I am sort of that mediator. Um, I'm someone that has taken years to build trust um, with my students and with their families. I've watched them grow. I've been kind of following them as they're growing from elementary into high school, so I know them very well. Um, So I'm someone that they can come to and they don't ever feel like I'm going to get in trouble or something negative is going to happen. Ms. Smith is going to help me and support me through this. So really any any sort of issue um, that has to do with being in the classroom is what they come to me for. I think it's really great that Binghamton has taken that first step in placing you there to help with those things. I think that's something that would be beneficial in, I know, uh, the high school that you guys go to and the high school I formerly went to. um, And high schools across the board should implement things like that as well. I agree. So, Jen, I have a question for you. (laughs) What makes a relationship with an adult good and meaningful from your perspective? It has to be genuine. It has to be real. Time needs to be put into these relationships. Like I said, I've really grown with my students. Um, You have to make sure that you really are getting to know one another. That includes getting to know your students' triggers and glimmers. I don't know if you've ever heard of glimmers, but it's those things that make you happy and excited and joyful. Um, But you also need to know the triggers for that student, what is going to um, make them upset, um, something that might happen in the classroom that you might want to try to put a plan in place um, so they feel safe and supported um, when they're there. Um, Really just being honest with each other, showing the students that you really truly care and it's real is the most important thing. And they know it. Students know when you are being real and genuine and when you are just putting on a face. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. So, Jen, how do you think that adults can build uh, trust and mutual respect with young people, be that like teenagers or even elementary school kids? Actions. Actions speak louder than words. I say that all day, every day. We must show them. Um, Adults need to model and assist students in defining what respect looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. We can't just simply assume that we know what it means for each student. Um, At Binghamton, a very important piece of this is something that we call respect agreements. Um, At the beginning of the year, it is required for all teachers and all classrooms in the entire district to sit down with their class and talk about what does respect look like, sound like, and feel like to you individually. And they come up with a classroom agreement together on how we are going to show that all year round. And it's clear and written out and actually 
posted on the wall. Um, this really, it helps guide us. And student, we're learning, right? Kids are learning. They're growing. They're learning. They're figuring this out. They're figuring out what respect is, what it feels like when you're disrespected, what it feels like when you are respected. And working together with that teacher to build that trust is the most important thing. And it comes right down to showing them and proving to them and showing them with showing them how much you really care about them, putting that time in. I think that's really wonderful, especially since respect is a line that gets blurred very easily um, between youth and adults. Absolutely. I think that youth especially have been sort of sort of taught to learn to respect the adults and then not to expect to receive that same respect back. And respect is a two-way street. It has to be earned from both parties. Um, So I think that having those respect outline agreements are great. And that really shows the students that you actually care about how they're feeling and that the teachers are also making a... um, making a stride to make sure their students feel good in the classroom and safe because that's that's the first step to a good learning environment. Absolutely. Safe and supported. Mm-hmm. And to touch on that, it's so great, I think, that you're introducing them even at an elementary school level because there's a lot of parents I've seen use gentle parenting techniques that have carried on with their kids throughout the years, like even into adulthood, where they learn to mediate a situation and not allow um, themselves to kind of freak out or lose like their control over their emotions in a situation. And it's our job as adults to model that for them. As they're growing and they're learning, we need to show those good and healthy coping skills. And that's one thing the respect agreement can do for us in the classroom is you can stop, take a look at it and say, class, you know, we decided that we were all going to make sure that we supported each other in such and such a way let's review this respect agreement. Is that what we're doing? Because this is a collaborative effort. In restorative practices, it's a we together. We do everything together. We support our students. It is not a you do. We will do it with you. We believe in that very strongly. That's great. I'd really love to see more of that everywhere, honestly, because, I mean, just that one thing that seems like such a small part of the entire year Um, can make the biggest impact on their school year overall. And if they're implementing that from a young age and continuing that practice through high school, it sets up boundaries. And those boundaries are crucial to not only them learning, but them growing into the adults they're going to become. And being a role model in school where they are, uh, you know, most of the year, most of their days, uh, you know, they don't just learn behaviors from at home, but they learn it from the adults in their schools and the staff that are around them. For everyone, how do you think uh, young people can build that trust and mutual respect with adults? I think a big part of it is um, allowing them to actually like try and form that bond, like that respect, because you can only help people who want to be helped. And even though it is really hard sometimes to like, understand that they are just trying to like get a connection with you it's important to like try and put effort towards it even if you don't know that it'll work because it could be really meaningful I think that's why it's so important that parents teachers any adult opens up like a conversation with a younger person with like full respect and just a willing to you know 
look at them as like a, a regular person without looking at their age or anything like that. No, I completely agree. Um, I think that transparency and just trying and putting yourself out there, which granted can be really scary to do as a young person, um, but that is the first step in people acknowledging the issues that are going on with you and them being able to help you. Um, I know that when I I struggled a lot through school, like not academically, but emotionally, I had so much on my plate. And also talk about like there was... Uh, the respect part of like uh, teachers and students because sometimes I see that um, students will like talk to me personally and be like oh the teacher sucks da, 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 just because um, you know they don't respect them but they don't un- they didn't they didn't know that they didn't respect them you know what I mean they don't understand exactly what a student's perspective is on respect so we can talk about at least, like we can, we have an adult here, so we can talk about what adult respect is and what student respect is, like what the difference is and how it can come together. Well, there is actually a lot of different cultures in this world. There is youth culture. There is black culture. You know, there's so many different cultures, and in every culture, respect is perceived in different ways. So that's why the communication is the most important to talk to your students and say, what does respect mean to you? How can I show you respect? How do you feel when I show you respect in this way? How does that make you feel? How can it make you successful? And that the communication and setting that, even writing it down, honestly, is really important, especially for younger students. Um, even we talked about the respect agreements, even in the younger grades, they use pictures. They can't write yet. Even in kindergarten, they're creating those. What does it look like um, when we're in the classroom and we're caring about each other? We're sharing. Okay, let's have our students sit, take a picture of us sharing and they post their pictures as their respect agreement. So the communication is the most important part because respect is so broad. We don't know the way I need to be respected is going to be different than the way Anaya needs to be respected. You know, what? I, I completely agree. Respect yeah. is so, it pertains to the individual. Because, for example, I'm like, I'm a feminist and I... I, I've encountered some people who were not very sensitive to that fact. And it's not like they were like necessarily genuinely rude people or people that I disliked or anything like that. But they said and made comments that were inappropriate um, in terms of like, you know, uh, like gender and things like that. And personally, me being very knowledgeable about um, feminism and all the things and the issues that women are facing, especially currently in today's America, um, you know, I... They were offensive and they would come across offensive to especially a lot of women. So I think that when you create any relationship, whether it be adult to youth or youth to youth or even siblings, you know, um, identifying what respect looks like to that person is really important. Like, for example, my younger sister, Chloe, she oh, I'm not going to name names. Excuse me. Um, My younger sister really doesn't like. to be touched and things like that or like hugs she's not a hugging person and I have to respect that even as her older sister I still respect that boundary because that's the only way that that both parties in the relationship can feel seen and heard and I believe no matter what it is the adult's responsibility to create that environment that values the open and honest conversations that supports these relationships especially with our younger 
our younger students. We have to be the grown-up in the room. We have to make sure that we are putting out that safe environment so they can communicate with us, so they feel like we care about them and they're able to say, Ms. Smith, I don't like hugs. I don't, I'd rather do a handshake. Excellent. Now I know that about you. I'm going to respect that boundary and we can move on and have a more trusting relationship with one another. And again, it affects their learning, right? So everything in the school system is going to go back to that learning. How can I create the best environment for you so you can learn in the best way that you possibly can? Mm-hmm. In order to do that, we need to have the trust. We need to have the boundaries. We need to have that respect. Yeah, and I think it gets overlooked a lot. Like even what you were saying with your little sister is like a lot of kids don't like physical contact. And it's nothing against the people who are trying to like hug them, touch them or anything like that. It's just they just don't like it. Like I did not like it at all when I was a kid. Now I'm like the most like I'll hug anyone. I like I say I love you all the time. But like a lot of people just they completely bulldoze that because they're just like, oh, yeah, ha, 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 whatever. And they just like. And they just don't show respect to that boundary, especially if they're like little kids. Like adults used to just like ruffle my hair to get a rise out of me. And then like it was the butt of the joke when I would get mad because I told them to not touch me. Um, I can relate to that a little bit. I'm not very um, I'm not a very touchy person. I I like my own space a lot. And growing up around people that love to like just hug, play around with each other, do all that stuff. It was a bit complicated. But when somebody verbally says that they don't want that type of uh, relationship, it's personally my family respected that a lot. And I still give hugs. I still do all that. I'm not, um, uh, I'm not taking myself away from that. But it's comforting to know that if my boundaries did change, that they're okay with that and they're willing to do anything to make me feel comfortable. And that goes back to teachers. If they like respect my boundaries and they do all this stuff and respect me, it makes me happier to be in the class, makes me happier to learn. It doesn't distract me because I'm like nervous about something that they might do. So it's a good thing to not always assume boundaries. Um, And I think it's good to start off like a school year or something with like a little paper that says like, these are things that I like. These are things that I don't. These are my limits. So on. It's so helpful. And it's helpful for teachers because we want to make sure that you are in a good state, that you're comfortable and you're safe And that way your brain is able to function at the best possible way that it can. And that's what we want. And that's what we strive for. Yeah. And, you know, I I look at this from kind of two perspectives because I'm sort of in that in-between bridge area where I'm going from being like a youth, a teenager, into becoming uh, an adult. So... Even in that in-between stage where, you know, when I'm at college, it's very much like I'm a grown-up. When I'm at work, I'm an adult. I act like an adult and there are adults surrounding me and there's not many youth in the area. I still feel that even in those scenarios where the professors are not even necessarily that far in age from us, establishing respect, even with their students at that point, um, eliminates the 
issues with power dynamics um, because power dynamics are something that affects every single relationship and can very easily cause complications in them. Um, So, you know, when I was going to Binghamton University last semester and it was my first semester um, on campus because I had done it all online previously, um, you know, I was... It was hard to find my way around campus and learn all the ins and outs of what it's like to be an in-school college student. But uh, I had some professors who were very helpful, willing, very listen, willing to listen to what I needed and help me really uh, go through that adjustment well. Um, So I think that's really important. And I love that you brought up the power dynamics because in my experience, power just shuts down communication. If you have a relationship with an adult, a student, another teacher, it doesn't matter. If you feel like they have some sort of hold over you or power over you, you're less likely to want to work with them. You're less likely to want to communicate with them. And when that communication is shut down, it's very, very hard to build a healthy relationship. I see that a lot, actually, being an older sister um, with my younger siblings, even though they're younger than me. And even though, you know, I kind of mom them sometimes and I'm typically in charge of them, things like that. I still have to recognize that they have certain uh, things that they need for our relationship to be for our relationship to be smooth. Um, and so, you know, mm-hmm. learning what sort of makes them glimmer and what triggers them mm-hmm. has really helped me. Um, establish the best relationship with them and you know it's allowed them to be able to come to me as their older sister which makes me feel really good because I know that they will never feel like they're alone or they don't have anyone so I think that like that (laughs) I just can't stress the importance of how um, like power power dynamics can exist in every single relationship that we have whether it's romantic platonic adult to youth sibling um to adult to adult in the regular work uh, world or even at work, you know, um, sometimes I will have customers that come in and they, you know, they feel they're almost a little bit defensive because uh, they don't want to come into a hostile environment or if they've had a bad experience in the past and they've been treated a certain way. And, you know, in as just a human being in the world, it's my job to eliminate those concerns for them and let them know that, hey, I'm here to help you, not only as an employee of this company, but as a peer who is willing to listen to your concerns and do my best to establish good communication with you. So I love that you've mentioned your your siblings, and I love that relationship. Um, I truly believe, and, and you're giving this to your siblings, I heard this out of what you were saying, you love them unconditionally. Every youth, every child needs at least one adult to love them unconditionally. When I say unconditionally, I mean this. You make a mistake, I still love you. You're not living your best life, I still love you. You screw up, I still love you. And I tell my students that every single day. And it, it, I want them to know that because I don't know if they have a person in their life, I don't know, that loves them no matter what. So I want to make sure that when they come to school, they have at least one. That is so amazing. So beautiful. You're such a That is beautiful. So cool. We need more people I, like you I, in I, our I, world. I should have warned you guys that I cry a lot. We got to <laughs> clone you yeah. and like place you in every school. Yeah, can we have one of you everywhere? 
Oh, sure. So we, I would <laughs> love to be everywhere, but I can't. It's so rare that a student will talk about like a good experience that they have with their uh, teacher. And even if they do, it's usually like um, as if the teacher is like their friend or something. But for a teacher to really show that caring, even like uh, a small aspect of that uh, parent parental role, it's so heartwarming because it shows that your understanding of whatever they may go they might be going through or even not like be going through it just it shows that you care about them no matter what's going on and that's so much more than you can ask for that's that even reflects in your students because i've gone to bampton uh, with um, my significant other because he went to Binghamton. So I've gone there a million times. I've gone to sporting events. I have gone to their prom. Um, and I have made so many friends at that school. And I just feel like when I personally, my experience going to that high school was the kids were not clicky. They were willing to talk. They were accepting. They were very Extremely charismatic, accepted. cool. Um, I really I really enjoyed a lot of the people I met. I stay in touch with, I feel like, like more of my Binghamton friends than I even do my from my high school. So, you know, um, I think that that what you're doing right now reflects in every single student that goes to that school. So that makes really me really wonderful. proud. We yeah. try very hard to build what we call a culture of care in Binghamton. Mm-hmm. Um, we consider our students our family. We, we truly love them. We say on the announcements every morning, um, our principal will get on and he will say, um, if no one has told you yet today, we here at Binghamton High School love you every day. And I have, so I have students sweet. who will, if he's absent and, or if somebody forgets to say it, they get upset. They're like, excuse me, nobody told me I love you this morning. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I'm so sorry. Um, but it, we really, truly, genuinely mean it. And, that, and that's what I say. Your first question you asked me, you know, what makes a relationship with adult good and meaningful is because we're real and we're genuine. And we really, when we say something, we really do it. If I tell you I love you and I love you unconditionally, I'm going to show you and I'm going to prove to you every single day that I am telling you the truth and that you can trust me. And and I do believe that our staff and our administration and all of us, we have that sense of culture of care. That is so beautiful. And that's really important. That needs to be implemented everywhere, like yesterday. Like why? Like Everywhere needs to do that. Every single high school, every single middle school, every single elementary school. Not even, <laughs> even if they don't want to do the I love you, but having these types of individuals who are staff in the school that provide that sort of care for the students, you know, school is not just about academics. And I think that some schools, particularly put a lot of focus on that. And while it is very important to make sure that children are learning effectively um, and, you know, getting good grades and things like that, they can't get those good grades and exceed academically if emotionally, if emotionally they are not taken care of. And not only that, it also helps the students that aren't doing the most academically well and are falling in their classes. Because I've seen if one person literally just shows like a student that's doing bad that care and that encouragement that they need they'll do so much better I've seen it in my friends I've seen it in other students all it takes is just a teacher to care about them and really care that they want them to succeed and show that to them 
Yeah, in, like, elementary school, I remember I hated so many of my teachers. I went to school in, like, rural PA. I did not like almost any of them. None of them liked me. Like, it was it was a war on both sides. And I remember I had this one English teacher in fourth grade, and English was, like, my best subject. Like, I was doing the best in that. And I would never do my homework because I just didn't see the point. So she ended up figuring out that I didn't like homework. She had a whole little meeting with me, and she figured out I didn't like homework, and she made me a deal because at the end of every month, if you did all your homework, you got to go to an ice cream party. Or the punishment was you had to go read in a room. And I liked reading, so I just went to the reading room. <laughs> it wasn't um, a punishment for you. No. So she made me a deal that if I did one homework assignment per week and I got to pick what I did it on, that I could either go to the party or to the reading room. I love that. And it was it was so helpful. Like, I, I still remember her. She was the best. I love her so much. Best teacher, 10 out of 10. And that was so important because I genuinely did not like going to school. Like, because all of my teachers and I had issues, you know, like I grew up, I have ADHD and stuff. They did not like that. So it's just so important for them to just reach out and just try, like, even just talking to the student is, like, so impactful. Communication. It's mm -hmm. so, so, so important. Yeah. On the same note, uh, I had a teacher who did the same for me. You know, I was going through a very difficult time, not academically, but emotionally. Um, and, you know, sort of like my junior, senior year. And that's a crucial time, especially since you're doing college admissions and all those things. And it was just not only stressful in terms of school, but stressful at home and things like that. And when I went to her and explained my situation, she was so caring towards me. She went really the extra mile to understanding what I was going through. Um, she let me just come up and talk to her uh, about what I was facing. And she, you know, learned all the ins and outs of my issues and sort of just just listened to me. Um, and she was very understanding when it came terms to her class. She was like, listen, put my class on the bottom. I want you to focus on everything else you have going on right now because if you are not in a good state emotionally, then you're not going to be able to do anything in my class. And to me, your emotions are much more important than what we're doing here in the classroom right now. And that was just, it was huge for me. It, it made a huge difference. And I ended up doing really well in her class. And I and I really well throughout the year because of, I feel largely because of ha having her there for me. Jen, I really love what Binghamton has been implementing in their school district, having you there for the students. That's incredible. Um, and I think that what you're doing is really powerful. And I would like to know, are there any school districts um, that you've heard of that are looking to implement those things as well? There are two school districts that have reached out to me asking some questions about restorative practices and let me know that they were starting to research it and think about it. And it's uh, Union Endicott um, and Shenango Valley. Both of those two are just in the beginning stages. We're already almost seven years into restorative practices at Binghamton, and they're just starting um, to, to have it grow. That's wonderful. That's good that at least these schools are um, taking the initiative to start doing things like that. Have you experienced, like, with doing all your restorative action, have you experienced any pushback from students, staff, any members of the school? Absolutely, when it first started, and it really had to do with just the misunderstanding of what restorative practices is. Um, we wanted to make sure the first couple of years we did a lot of what we call professional development, 
Um, we offer it in the summer. We offer it throughout the school year. Teachers can get paid extra to come so as a little incentive um, to let them know what exactly it is. The misconception really has been that restorative practices is kumbaya, la, 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 hold hands, everybody is friends, and we have no consequences. That is 100% wrong. Um, in restorative practices, we believe that discipline is all about learning. So consequences might happen, but the consequences are used as a time for the learning. For example, if you get sent to traditionally a detention room, right? You got in trouble, you get sent to detention. In Binghamton City School District, what we're doing is we're working with those students during that time in detention. We're working on things called accountability projects. We're working on restorative reflections. They're working with a restorative coordinator while they're in that room. To We are actually not calling it detention anymore. We're calling it the R&R room, which is the reflect and reconnect. So we want them to have the time to come out of that classroom, reflect on what happened, figure out how to make better choices, work with an adult that will support them, and reconnect back into the classroom because we are all about that learning. So that's where the pushback really came from at first. Um, but I do believe now that we have a, a much better understanding as a district of what restorative practices is um, and a lot more buy-in now that we've been doing it for about seven years. That's wow. That's great. I, that's the R room, that's wow. R room. Mm -hmm. So who and Jen, if I, you don't mind me asking, who comes up with these things? Does is I it sort of like a just <laughs> yeah? It, um, it was a pro it's been a problem. Um, these detention rooms for as long as I have been in public school teaching, mm -hmm. and I have I've asked and we've talked about it. And we've had meetings and and over the summer we did a lot of work. Um, with revamping this room. And they also hired another restorative coordinator mm -hmm. to specifically work in this room with those students. And we we both work with them together, mm -hmm. but there's another person in the building um, that's trained in all of this. And that way we can, because like I said, it's all about, we don't want repeated um, mm -hmm. disciplinary issues. We want them to learn, grow, and make better choices. And so we take the time, even when they're Honestly, also, we're doing this for suspended students, too. Um, they're working with me remotely from home. Um, and they have the choice. They don't have to, um, but we give them a choice to work with a restorative coordinator while they're on suspension. Um, sometimes there's an incentive with that. For example, we might say, um, well, sus you're suspended for five days according to our code of conduct. But you know what? If you work with Mrs. Smith on this accountability project, and you present it to the principal and we accept it, you can come back after three days. Mm -hmm. But we want to make sure that you're doing this really thoughtful. So I'm working with them. Um, Google Meet is what we use now, not Zoom anymore. But I'm working with them on, on Google Meet while they're at home. We're taking that time. Instead of just do your time, come back, we know that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You're going to come back and they're just going to do the same things over again because no learning has occurred. Mm -hmm. So we're valuing that what we traditionally call as punishment as that learning. Mm -hmm. You are so like, like brilliant. Like, <laughs> it's not me. It's our starter practices. <laughs> I just have no clue how many like teachers, this would have never even like came, like even appeared on their head, like for a second. This is so like innovative to like student learning mm -hmm. and could help so many students go to a better, like, root on their life because I know some students after like so many times that they've been like sent to detention like being suspended 
for all these things that sometimes they don't even understand why. And then getting that chance to learn and grow on that and not just been like, okay, I got yelled at by my parents. I got sent to a room for all my mm-hmm. lunch. I'll be fine. Whatever. Yeah, I'm grounded. Okay. I'll, I'll do my time and then I'll just go back to what I was doing before. And, mm-hmm. and we want them to grow. Yeah, I see. So a lot of like the stuff you're talking about, this is going to sound very drastic, but I've seen a lot of it implemented in um, a lot of prison systems, actually. The U.S. is one of the like most disciplinary prison, like prison areas. And we have a very high like repetitive crime rate. But places like Sweden, I believe, which have some of the nicest, like most um, gentle parenting versions of prisons. Mm -hmm. They have a very low, like, repetitive crime rate, and they've seen a lot of people, like, learn from their mistakes and have a less likely chance of repeating them. They come out much less violent. They have so many more, like, resources at their disposal. And do you, like, do you think that that kind of relates to... Absolutely. Um, We actually did a pilot experiment on restorative practices before we, before I was even a coordinator, Um, It was seven years ago, eight years ago, I think. Um, Her name is Angela Panagrosso. Shout out to Angela Panagrosso. She is now a principal at um, a very special program called the PATS program at Binghamton that's run 100% restoratively. Um, And they're very successful in that program. Um, But she started learning about restorative practices and came to me and was helping me in my classroom because I was actually having classroom management issues with my mm-hmm. students. I was brand new at Binghamton and and learning and growing myself. And she came to me and said, you know, why don't we try this restorative practices? I said, sure, I'll try anything at this point. Um, so we did a little experiment where um, I don't know if at you where you guys went to school, if there were teams in middle school, um, the sixth, seventh and eighth grade, they're on two teams. So they split sixth grade into two teams. So we looked at just the sixth grade and we said, all right, team A is not going to do any restorative. They're going to do traditional consequences of what we've been doing for a hundred years. Now team B is going to try something different. And we got permission from the principal to do, to do this. We are going to implement weekly circles in the classroom. We're going to implement our lunch detentions then turned into Things that we're now doing in the R&R room, such as restorative reflections, um, restorative conferences. Um, so they were working with Angela Panagrosso at that time, who was a social studies teacher. We didn't; have, There was no such thing as a restorative coordinator at that time. And we did it all for the whole entire year. And we took a look at the numbers at the end of the year. And what we saw was Team A, who was not doing any restored practices, doing normal traditional consequences and discipline. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but let's say it's... 100. They had 100 referrals. Um, Team B, the referrals were not only less, but the most significant part of it was it was only a handful of kids who were creating those referrals. So that means they weren't repeating their mistakes over and over again. And Team A, it was the same amount of kids. So let's say it's five and five, but there were 100 referrals because those five kids were repeating it over and over again. On Team B, the experimental group, um, the same five kids, but there were only, I don't remember how many referrals, but it was less than half wow. of what the other team was. So we notice what restorative practices is showing us where the repeated offenders are decreasing. They're going down mm-hmm. because, again, they're learning and making better choices. 
And so we used those numbers and and had a proposal to the superintendent. And that's where restorative coordinators, sort of coaches, we were called mm-hmm. then at the time, came from. Um, and Angela Panagrosso and myself were the two first restorative coaches in the in the district. And, you know, I'm kind of surprised that uh, not only schools, but, for example, more um, like countries, because, you know, places like Sweden, things like that, they're always named as like the happiest countries in the world, best places to live, like low crime rates. Um, And I'm surprised that more uh, places haven't taken those sort of restorative practices on because at the end of the day, it all boils down to behavioral psychology. And that's science. And that is something that can be proven, not just through uh, statistics, but like studies and all those things. Um, So, you know, it's, it's kind of surprising that it's taking us so long to get here, but I am glad that we are getting there. Um, and to hear that these districts are taking that next step is really promising because it shows that we're headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really important. And I hope that you know the U.S. will take on some of the practices that Sweden is implementing. When you mentioned circles, I was like, oh, my God. Like, so I do the this. way you describe circles when you guys were describing it's, it in your class mm-hmm. is not actually a circle. Mm-hmm. Oh. So if you are having any sort of comment, like let's say I asked the question as a circle facilitator, the talking piece goes around. Um, I am not allowed to comment on any of anything that you say. Oh. We're just listening. So a true restorative circle is a question, a talking piece. Talking piece goes around. Everybody has their voice. They can pass if they want to. You're never allowed to be graded. You're not even for participation when it comes to circle. That's our district rule. Um, we want students to be comfortable when they're in circle. So when you were describing that, that's not actually a true restorative circle. See, I got I got yelled at one time because I didn't like I wasn't doing the hand gestures correctly. Like, yeah, you are not. Act- you don't have to. You can sit and, and observe if you want. You are never um, to be punished in any sort of way when it comes to a restorative circle. I have I've had students not say anything and just observe for a little while till they got comfortable and figured out what it's all about, and then decided to jump in. And there's different types of circles. You can actually do inside outside circle or a fishbowl circle, or you can have a small circle in the middle, and you can have another circle on the outside for observers. But we leave a couple chairs in the middle, too. So if you're like, I want to answer this question, you can pop right in the circle, answer that question, and pop right out. And it's all about the listening, the active listening, more than the commenting. You're never supposed to comment. Actually, with my other classes that do circles, because most, especially last year, we have like a circle like every week. But this year, it's kind of like some teachers just do it just to do it like every two weeks or something. And usually it does go like that. It usually is you get the talking piece, nobody else talks, you talk. And I wanted to touch on how connected I felt when I did start those circles. Um, At first, of course, it was a bit awkward. But once I started and we started doing it more consistently, I learned a lot of things about um, people in my class, about how similar we were. And even I made a friend... um, in like one of my clubs because I made a joke about how I was like okay everyone um what's your number today and I like passed around a paper and we talked about our day and we talked about our number and it just it really shows that it just connects people so 
so easily. And all it takes is just like five seconds of, you know, setting up chairs and just passing around a little toy. Can I ask a question? Um, I'm wondering if any of you have had an experience with any other circles that is not just a fun get to know you circle. Have you ever had a circle where you're solving a problem in the classroom? Have you ever had a circle that is about um, something that's going on outside in the world, in the community? Have you ever had a, a curriculum circle that's talking about what you're learning in the class? That sounds amazing. I have. I have never actually. I mean, you know, I I love high school, so you guys are still there and like going through those things. We don't do that in college, but, um, you know, like I've never done anything like that. I mean, the most we ever did was talk about like, do you work and where do you work? Like that was the most extent to like outside, um, or like, well, how was your day going? But to talk about things that are engaging, topics that are engaging, get people just going, get their brains flowing, especially like. On a Monday or Friday, that sounds really... Do you remember last, I think it was last year when we had all the smoke outside and it looked crazy and it was like yellow. It smelled horrible. And it smelled crazy. All the kids were talking about that, right? Mm -hmm. That's a topic you can circle up with. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about it. How are you feeling about this? Let's do a little bit of research. Let's find... And you're learning as a class. So circles are meant to... What The circles you were talking about is just the beginning. That is just getting to know you, starting, getting familiar with them. It is meant you're supposed to do that at first and then grow with it. So the real goal of a circle is to be able to collectively come together to solve a problem. So as a class, if you have any type of issue and you have experience with circles, um, that experienced teacher facilitator can say, all right, let's circle up. And you're coming together and trying to come up with a solution collaboratively. So we've been having a lot of talk about circles, but for people who might not know what a circle is, can you explain and elaborate further on that? Absolutely. Um, A restorative circle um, is very simple. It does. I always say you need to have the spirit of circle. You don't actually have to sit in a circle. It's very nice if you can, but some classrooms and some schools just don't have the capacity to actually move the furniture around. Um, So the spirit of circle is you have a facilitator. The facilitator is the one who's asking the questions. Um, They choose the topic. They're asking, it could be a curriculum circle. Like I said, it could be about the content the kids are learning. It could be, hey, we got a problem in the in our classroom community, we need to fix it. That's our topic. Um, or it just could be we're going to have a little fun and get to know each other today. Um, so the circle facilitator will ask the question. They will answer it. It's very important for them to also answer because they are part of this classroom community also. Um, we have a talking piece. It can be anything that you like. It could be a pen. It could be a stuffed animal, something that's special to you, or any type of object. Um, the talking piece will go around so every student has a voice. That is the most important piece of a restorative circle is that you have your voice and everyone must listen. You do not have to if you do not want to. You don't want to answer a question. You're not comfortable answering a question. You don't know how to answer the question. Absolutely. You just pass the talking piece to the next person. And then we go around. Everybody answers. And then you move on to the next question. It's important to be an active listener during this time. Um, no one is commenting on anyone's answers. Um, no students are ever being graded for circle, no student, not even for participation. Um, and it's collectively a time where we can all come together and listen to each other as a school community and family.
That just, it really, like, brings in the bond of that school spirit that every school wants to achieve in their students, in their faculty, and just the entirety of their school. And I'm kind of sad to be already gone to college or I won't experience <laughs> that. But I do really love everything that you're doing. And it would be great if even colleges and like criminal justice systems Absolutely. and like the world could take on those restorative practices because some people, no, everyone just needs someone to listen to them and a little bit of help along the way. Well, thank you for coming, Jen. It was lovely to hear your side of things and your expertise on the subject. I'm Toby. I'm Kaylee. I'm Anaya. I'm Jen. And thank you for coming to The The Other Side. Side. Production and promotional help from Marley Rivera, Phoebe Taylor-Wolo, Seth Nichols, and Patrick Holmes. Brianna Moreno and Kelly Mabey are our supervisors. Thank you to our fellow team leaders for feedback and support. See you next time on The Other Side.